Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we're continuing our series on how to undermine your team and screw up your Agile transformation and uh, implementation. Right. All, all ready to, to make mistakes? Yep. Excellent. So our next way of making mistakes, these are all coming from a great article by Roger Schwartz on how unilateral control undermines team results and relationships, and we're applying that to Agile team results and relationships. Uh, link in the show notes for Mr. Schwartz. And the next one, assumption that we're working on it says, I am right. Those who disagree are wrong. This assumption is an extension of the first one. You assume that situations come with right and wrong answers and that your answer is, of course, the right one. People who disagree with you or see it differently are simply wrong. When you hold this assumption, you and the people with whom you are disagreeing cannot possibly all be right. What do you think, Jeffrey? Uh, can, are, are you always right? Uh, absolutely. Excellent. Me too. <laughs> well, perfect. This is this is uh, will come naturally to both of us. The whole idea of being right and it being natural is something I, I really like. The quote I got from Dan North, I heard him give this in a talk. He said, "Of course, I'm right. If I was wrong, I'd think something else." So uh, naturally, I'm right because why would I? Why would I be wrong? Why would I choose to be wrong? That's silly. Indeed. And I've always find uh, I'm not sure whether you agree with me or not, but I always find that software people tend to be particularly attracted to this error. Everybody makes this error, but I find that uh, those of us who work with computers where there really is a right and wrong answer, the, the computer says three or seven or error or something else, it's black and white, that, that we tend to think that there there is a right and wrong answer. Everybody thinks that they're right, usually, and that's a common fallacy we'll talk more about, but the, the assuming that a situation has a right and a wrong answer, that, that seems like us uh, technical folks are, are more prone to it. What do you think? Well, I, I wonder if it's us or lawyers, you know, who they're, <laughs> they're also going to say that there's not just, uh, you know, one right way, but there's definitely, you know, many right ways and many wrong ways, but the questions of right and wrong, there's, they definitely exist. And this is a tuning up our discussion from last time. So last time we said that the the fallacy, the the assumption that would harm you and cause you to have difficulty in your implementation was that you understood the situation and those who disagree don't understand it. So that's a, to do with what you're observing. This is to do with morals. I'm right. Not only do I understand it correctly, <laughs> but I've got the correct answer. Yeah, I think it's a good point. It, it, it is. It's sort of a, a subtle difference, and I, it, they do say this is an extension of it. That the first, you might think there's a, a, a ladder here of certitude, and um, you know the bottom is the situation. What you observe, you go, "Yep, I see it. I see everything that there is, and I understand it perfectly." Uh, and now we've gone up to, in that situation, uh, I've got the right answer. So it is an extension in, in that way. And I think it's interesting to point out this the assumption that situations do have right and wrong answers. That that sort of is at odds with a probabilistic universe. And and those of us who work with computers tend to be focused on a kind of mechanistic watchmaker kind of universe that think that things get started and then there's a cause that causes the next thing that causes the next thing. And so all you have to do is work out what that original cause was and, and, and there you are. You understand how you got to where you are and that means you know what the right answer is. Undo that cause or do something different. And I, th I can see your point that, that developers get more trained into that because they're used to getting a lot of feedback over the course of the day. You know, the code either compiles or it doesn't. The test either passes or it doesn't. Right, so it either works or it's either right or it's wrong. 
-hmm. you do tend to get a lot of feedback and get trained that way. That might be what leads to um, what John Allspaugh is currently uh, at war against, which is he's you know he's very down on root cause analysis RCAs, and he says that fundamentally that there's the they have a they're based on a fallacy that there is a single root cause, and uh, that might be something that again. Uh, software people are more prone to because they're used to being able to trace it down. Ah, the, this program isn't working right. And they debug and debug and debug. And in the end, it comes down to, yep, there was this one line. There was this one expression. I had a plus instead of a minus. That was the <laughs> cause. Exactly. If I just put a plus here, then everything would have been fine. Yeah, exactly. And, and Alspaugh is arguing that, in fact, in human situations and the kinds of things that we're encountering when we try to uh, adopt new practices like agile methods, then there, there's never a single cause. In fact, there are many. And that's what I used to do. We won't go on to this too much, but I, when I used to do root cause analyses, I would have a little branch diagram and we'd never get to all of them, but it was very clear that there were multiple causes and we were always looking for a, a multiplicity of answers, not a single right answer. Uh, which, which makes a lot of sense because the world is complex, but it feels right to think that there is a single root cause. I mean, things were working fine and then they weren't. Some event happened. So it uh, may be the case of, you know, the, this person deployed a new version of the software and it's like, well, that was a mistake. You, you shouldn't have done it. We had this problem because you did that thing. Mm -hmm. It does feel like uh, there is a single root cause. And it's really satisfying to find it. It's that feeling of, you know, I put a minus instead of a plus on line 47. When you, when you find the bug, it's, you get a shot of do dopamine, you know, you really feel like you did something. The problem is that in, in that case where we deployed something that we shouldn't have, there are probably a whole bunch of other causes like training and pressure from others and uh, misunderstanding and lack of trust and lots of other stuff. And that's what it's easy to miss. Yeah, I'm a little bit confused though here because you're telling me that I'm going to be able to screw up my team by believing that I'm right. And, um, you know, I, 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 I do have often been proven right and, it, and that's been good. You know, people are listening to us because they think we, we might have right answers, that they we might have some ideas. <laughs> the kind of principle of the podcast is that we might have something to share. So we must think that we're right at least some of the time. Right. So so what's the, what's, I don't understand. How is this going to cause problems on the team? I, I have a great example of this. So I, I did an offsite. And to be honest, I'm not sure I did the offsite very well. I'm not sure we should have even held it. Um, but what we did is for a team that was struggling and having a lot of difficulty with adopting practices that worked for it and getting to fast, responsive results, all the things we talk about in the Agile Principles uh, episodes with uh, iteration and engagement of business people and so on. And they weren't getting any of those results. And so I said, great, I'll hold an offsite and we'll figure out what's going on. Well, by the way, we'll, we'll bring in a representative from the Ukrainian development team. And that person got on a plane and uh, came and spent time with us. And it became evident in about the first five minutes of the offsite that the uh, difficulty was exactly this, that this person from Ukraine had just decided what all the answers were, and he was ready to tell us. He knew what the right answers were. He had diagnosed everything that was happening, and, and what we needed was uh, a change control committee, and this committee would decide on which practices we would adopt, and in particular, it would adopt these seven practices, and he laid them out on the board, and um, everybody's eyes glazed over, and we didn't get very far. It was not a very successful offsite, in my view. And the difficulty was that although his ideas might have been useful. There were cores of truth. There were difficulties that he was pointing to that were valid, but he wasn't going to get anywhere with that group 
by simply telling everyone that he had all the right answers, that he had flown in, he had the answers, he was going to go back to Ukraine and do them, that, that, that wasn't going to help. It sounds like you had the wrong group. I mean, here this guy comes with all the right answers and you have people just completely unwilling to listen. Exactly. And if he just had, <laughs> if we could change everybody else and work, work his way, everything would be fine, according to him. Of course, the problem was that we weren't going to change everyone else, including the founders of the company and the board of directors and everyone else. Uh, so that wasn't going to work. The, the fact that you believe you're right and maybe even are right doesn't mean that you're going to be able to make the changes that you'd like to or get the results that you're after. And that's the, the heart of this difficulty. What, what I, I think is, is interesting about this is you, you have someone who probably had, as you said, really good uh, information and he was right uh, as, as far as he was thinking through things. He just, it was incomplete, uh, perhaps what he was doing. There's no reason for us to believe that he had all the information and everyone's experiences. Certainly he didn't convince all of you that he did. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of the Daniel Kahneman, we talked before about cognitive biases and how th- this this idea of I'm right and those who disagree are wrong is effectively the result of cognitive biases. They're, they're the way the human brain works. And Daniel Kahneman talks about one overriding factor that I remember from his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is what you see is all there is. That this is that um, when we come to conclusions uh, using our, our our system one, getting the the fast system, um, whatever came to mind, whatever we're we're taking into account, we we tend to think is is the whole world. It's everything that could possibly be there, and it sounds like this person might have been suffering from that problem. He might have had really good conclusions based on his experience. Other people saw other things, and when they didn't see it reflected in what he was saying, they they weren't going to be able to listen. Indeed. And that comes from the previous idea, the previous assumption, which was that I understand the situation as it is. That's I'm seeing everything. And then if you take it the next step farther, as this guy does, he says, look, I understand everything. I I know what's happening. Um, I I have uh, loads and loads of agile experience. I know what the right practices are. And here are the right solutions to those problems that that I have correctly uh, observed. And that's the extra Philip. Believing that you understood the situation perfectly isn't working for you and screwing up your team, then then turn it up a notch and try <laughs> uh, concluding that you are right and telling everybody how right you are. That 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 should really mess it up. The the good news is I think it'll come naturally. <laughs> once, yes, once, once it's you realize, very easy to do. Once you realize you understand the situation completely and correctly, you'll naturally come to the right answer. And mm-hmm. uh, and you'll probably be willing to share it with anyone else. Don't don't hold back. Don't feel a need to to hold back on on your thoughts and think that other people might have other ideas. I mean, I suppose you you can always weather out them saying what they need to. So mm-hmm. you might tactically decide to let people yammer on for a while. Yeah, you can stare at the ceiling. There. Think think about what you're going to say. That that yeah. would be really helpful. Sometimes you can get you can get valuable insight in other people's you know value systems. So you might be able to. Uh, alter and warp your arguments to know they'll be more effective. Yeah, you can convince them more successfully. You don't don't change your mind, of course, because you're right. That's right. But what would be most helpful is to, to kind of analyze their situation and understand it well so that you can convince them even more successfully. I, I did, in fact, watch this guy during the offsite doing that, and he would adjust his approach, but without adjusting his view at all. That's right. And that was uh, the, the kiss of death for um, the, the changes <laughs> we were trying to introduce. I, I had a really funny experience at one of my talks that that demonstrated to me very well this idea of people come to an answer and then they, uh, they're willing to sit and listen for quite a long time without uh, taking on new information. 
uh, <laughs> I, in my talk, I was talking about a scenario and it's one that you and I have used in our, our training that we do. And it's one I've done in, in various talks. And it's a, a point where imagine you're in the scenario where you are trying to convince someone. You have a presentation or proposal and um, there's someone in the room you need to convince. And while you're talking, you, you notice this, this person uh, glance at their, at their wrist. What, what does that mean? And what, what do you do and why? And I, and I ask the audience and the typical answers come back is, oh, they're, they're bored and uh, you, you should uh, try to re-engage them. Maybe ask them a question uh, or people will say they're, they're running short of time. So I speed up. And uh, the things people get really attached to those answers. And uh, the most extreme example was I, I gave this keynote and went through the talk. And one of the things I, we, we talk about there is the, the importance of not sticking to one possible explanation. There's many possible coherent explanations. And just the first one that comes to mind, uh, we should look beyond it. In that talk, I was cultivating my, my goal there wasn't to have people screw up their agile teams. So a different uh, motivation. <laughs> so, we, so we talked about coherence busting and how to get past that. So I, I, I talk about that and then go through the rest of my talk and I come out and I'm in the, the lobby and uh, someone comes up to me and said, um, oh, I really enjoyed the talk and that, you know, that was a funny story you told, but of course we all know that really she was bored and that, that was it. That was his, <laughs> he, he was so attached to being right. He was so sure that he had the right view of the situation, the right diagnosis of her thinking that he, he couldn't let go of his attribution about her beliefs. That's right. And I have faith in our audience that they'll be able to, in the goal of screwing up their team, that they'll be able to uh, come to a, a conclusion and uh, ignore uh, what other people are saying and remain unresolved. And uh, th there's, there's, there's so many opportunities for this. And, and I think it will have good effect. And it um, reminds me of a quote from, I'll go with Mark Twain here, that it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And you were telling me that you were trying to work out who said that quote, and actually it was a nice illustration of the quote, yeah. <laughs> because it's probably not Mark Twain. Yeah, exactly. I saw that, and I saw it attributed. I was going to. I was looking up the references for the for the talk, and I looked up the quote, and I had. And, and if you'd asked me, I would have said that's a Mark Twain quote, and I would have been pretty sure about it. I, I wouldn't have probably <laughs> bet my house, but I, I, you know, I would have bought, bet this nice microphone that I'm talking into, because I was pretty sure it was Mark Twain. Oh, I, I knew it was wrong though, because I'd heard it years before uh, attributed to Will Rogers. So I mm. knew, I knew that Mark Twain wasn't it, and uh, and I knew that people misattribute a lot of things to Mark Twain. Um, but then I came across an article, which is the apocryphal Twain, called "Things We Know." That just ain't so. And one of them is that either Mark Twain or Will Rogers are the origin of this quote. And it, it's uh, actually been attributed to maybe half a dozen or more different people, depending on when you search. But as far as we can tell, uh, the first one was written down was, was someone named Josh Billings. And uh, who apparently was a 19th century humorist, not someone I've ever heard of. So if someone had put that forward uh, as the, the most likely example, I would have said, well, that's clearly wrong. <laughs> but it turns out that although we both knew for sure different things, neither one were so. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, next step for uh, screwing up your Agile team is going to be insisting that you're right and not listening to other people. And I'm sure that our listeners will all be able to do that. We'd love to hear some of your stories about being right or being wrong or both. 
and you can send those to us. Uh, email's probably the best way at troubleshootingagile.com. You'll find a nice link for sending us a mail, and uh, we'd love to pick up your examples. As we continue in the next episode through more different assumptions that you can make in order to cause difficulties, undermine your relationships, and generally not have a good Agile team. See you, everybody, next week. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.